This episode of Radio Vet Nurse discusses suicide. If this is going to be triggering to you, you may want to sit this one out. I've also placed the support line numbers in the show notes. I want to add that the opinions expressed within this episode are solely my own and do not necessarily express the views or opinions of my employer. This podcast was recorded on Gubby Gubby Country. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional ancestors and custodians of this land and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted, I'm Kat Walker. On the previous episode of Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted, I shared the story of how my world was turned upside down when my now ex-husband and father of my children developed a substance use disorder. He fell victim to the demands and pressures of our vet industry and we've all paid a very personal cost. Having always had open conversations on Radio Vet Nurse about wellness and the big issues in the industry, I feel compelled to take my story and start an honest conversation about some of the challenges we are facing in the industry. That's why this series is called Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted. Apart from the obvious reference to an interruption in my personal life, I think the time is now to stop and make a break in the continuity of our current industry experience. It's time to have some really honest and difficult conversations and make a conscious decision about how to proceed and really harness this opportunity for change. Now that I've shared my personal journey, I'd like to zoom out and take a bird's eye view of the industry as a whole. Figures from the Australian Veterinary Association, the AVA, show that an Australian vet dies by suicide about every 12 weeks. This is four times greater than the general population. The ABA recently commissioned independent research by workplace mental health consultants Superfriend and found that over 66% of Australian vets have or are experiencing a mental health condition compared with less than 62% of the general population. The AVA has spoken to veterinary nurses as part of their research too and we know that many nurses are similarly affected. Attrition levels are also alarming. According to the Lincoln Institute's Vet Shortage Think Tank report, nearly 90% of veterinary business owners reported unprecedented difficulty in filling vacancies, with 41% waiting longer than six months to fill positions. Metrics from the Australian Bureau of Statistics, the Medical Board of Australia, and a December 2021 publication from Ibisworld allow us to compare the human and veterinary medicine doctor-to-patient ratios. It's estimated that our 124,671 human doctors have 206 patients per doctor. Compared to our 13,951 veterinary doctors with 2,179 pets per veterinarian. That's more than 10 times as many patients per vet. Statistically speaking, it's dire. To hear more about the challenges that are driving these numbers, I wanted to speak to industry experts, leaders, and even my colleagues. So, what is it about our industry that makes us four times greater than the general population to commit suicide? There's a number of psychosocial hazards that exist in our profession that we don't see as prevalent in other professions. That's Rosie Overfield. She's a proud veterinary nurse and qualified counsellor with a master's in HR. 
Rosie has spent the last 12 years using a blend of her skills to work with practice owners, managers, and vet professionals to help them achieve both business success and mental well-being. We know that isolation is a big challenge and that's not necessarily just geographical isolation. It's also just not having structured ways in which you can debrief, in which you can get professional supervision, in which you're kind of mandated to have a monthly or or fortnightly, what I call pop the, the lid, so to speak, where you can just go, well, here's what's happening for me. And the speed in which we work and the complexity of the work, the demands of clients, long days, you know, we're working with a patient. The patient is not the one picking up the phone and saying, here's my problem. When can I come in? I can give you a laundry list of what's going on and together we can fix this. You know, we've got this this triangulation in the work that we do where we have a, a, a patient, you know, we have their owner and then we have the veterinary professional who has two stakeholders that they have to manage. And I think also, you know, this dialogue of being GP vets, that's not true. <laughs> We're not general practitioners really. And I think all of those things along with long days, busyness, challenges with just running an effective business. It's not just about paying the bills. It's not just about making the bottom line work. It's this huge piece around culture and what it means to be a high-performing team in this profession. You know, COVID-19 has completely changed the way that we work. Those things are all, you know, factors in this this whole question around the perfect storm. But I also think we have an over-representation of introversion and perfectionism in this industry. We have a man, when I say we, I'm talking pre- predominantly about veterinarians. There's a mandate to have answers and, and to diagnose and to fix and to be there for clients and to always know what to do. And the challenge of a patient that can't keep you updated as to how they're doing. And that's without talking about people's individual background, how they were raised, their own traumas, you know, their health and well-being, their quality of life, their emotional experience, and then how we interact with each other is another layer again. How we interact with each other in the workplace is something Ken Yagi from the Veterinary Emergency Group is focused on. One of the reasons people feel dissatisfied in their job is that their management doesn't seem to care or they don't listen or there's a lack of leadership. Like those are the kinds of things that we're talking about that's happening out there. Ken is on a mission to reimagine emergency veterinary nursing and for him that also means taking an honest look about how we work as team members behind the scenes. Over the past few decades the number one reason for people not being satisfied with our job has always been pay. But once we pull that layer away, then there's other things that come up as uh, things that people need in order to be fulfilled in their job. These are things like, do they have the ability to grow? Are they being recognized for the skill set that they bring? Are they being recognized for their performance? Do they have a voice in the practice when they give opinions? Are they heard or do they feel ignored? Do they feel respected? So a lot of these things are what keeps on coming up each time a survey is done to take a look at what our field looks like. And on top of that, these days, specifically the past couple of years where we've been dealing with the pandemic, the demand for veterinary professionals have uh, gone up even higher uh, with the increase in pet ownership, but also that uh, the efficiency within the practices have gone down because of the COVID protocols. And so there's more patients to be seen with less people in the field and working at a less efficient pace. 
And so because of all that, there's a lot of stress surrounding the entire field, which is absolutely affecting us now. COVID has undoubtedly exasperated the pressure on the industry. It's no coincidence to me that the tipping point for my ex's illness becoming severe coincided with the pandemic. And it wasn't just here in Australia. Laura Jones has been a vet nurse for 15 years and is also studying to be a counsellor. I've been following her journey on Instagram for years. She's an internal medicine enthusiast and VTS medicine. Laura's based in England and COVID has certainly thrown her workplace some challenges. We have had the delightful combination of COVID and Brexit to deal with. And that has meant that we have obviously had a lot less people coming into the country. We're short on the ground of vets and nurses. I know that there are a lot of reports of GP practices that are closed because they don't have a vet on site, so they cannot see patients. We've certainly been getting an increase, again, anecdotally, but we've been getting an increase in the number of referrals that we're seeing. And then there are perhaps things that could be worked up at a GP clinic, but the clinic doesn't have the staffing slash facilities to do that at that moment. So there's more things being referred. We're no longer emergencies only, but when we were emergencies only, the, the, the number of referrals we were getting was enormous because a lot of the clinics had, had kind of furloughed all of their staff apart from one vet and you'd have clinics that just had one member of staff in the building. The majority of places are kind of thin on the ground vets and nurses. And I would say we, we really have been quite affected by uh, the puppy boom uh, in the UK. So we've had a lot of lockdown puppy buying that caused a bit of a difficulty whilst we were kind of in the first lockdown because at that point veterinary medicine across the country went to emergencies only so things like routine vaccinations and things were all stopped so after that we saw an increase in things like parvo cases because patients hadn't been vaccinated and then everyone got puppies and then we came out of emergencies only and the demand for veterinary care had just increased on a monumental scale so the clinics really are struggling to keep up with the demand hugely. We're now having issues with supply of vaccinations in the country due to a combination of kind of COVID, Brexit, and we're having lots of problems with not having enough lorry drivers in the country at the moment. So we've had like petrol shortages and everything as a result. Due to a combination of all of those things, plus the increased demand for things like vaccinations, we can't get enough vaccines at the moment to vaccinate our patients. Laura has also noticed that the industry attracts a certain type of person. And whilst being this type of person means you're best at the job, it can also work against you. Pretty much everyone I know in the profession is like a type A perfectionist, high achiever type person. And that I think predisposes us to wanting to be the person that says yes all the time and not wanting to be seen to let anyone down or not wanting to feel like you're letting yourself down by admitting that you need, I don't know, a day off to focus on you because you feel like your focus should be on all your patients and all, all the other commitments that you've, you've achieved and or that you're working towards. And I think it can be hard to say, oh, no, I need to set strict boundaries. Oh, no, I need to leave on time today. Oh, no, I haven't had a lunch break yet. Because I think there's a bit of a tendency in the profession to kind of wear the lack of a lunch break almost as a bit of a kind of badge of honour, because in a way, the veterinary profession has kind of cultivated a culture where that was normal. 
And I think that now the conversation since COVID is really starting to shift to kind of setting more strict boundaries and looking after your well-being and and kind of protecting your energy and, and looking after yourself more. I can definitely relate to Laura here. When I started with AES, I was hyper aware of the need to look after my health and set boundaries. My manager supported this, but I only ever worked or parented and at the end of the year had severe ophthalmic shingles from chronic stress, from the way I managed myself and from the level of productivity I expected from myself even in my downtime. I had to reassess the balance in my life again and make time for me not just gravitating towards the need to be productive all the time. And I know so many vets and nurses who are like this. (laughs) The shingles got into my eye and scarred my cornea. The slight blur in my right eye is my daily reminder to set boundaries, care for myself better, and take my health seriously. Support for Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted comes from AIRC, the Animal Industries Resource Centre. AIRC provides first-class veterinary nurse and animal care qualifications and education, supporting students all over Australasia. Over the years, I've met countless AIRC trainers and mentors on volunteer committees that lobby for industry and veterinary nurse progression. I love the idea that they are passing this passion onto their students. It's more important now than ever that we produce veterinary professionals brave enough to inspire change and advance our industry. AIRC, together with the Crampton Consulting Group, was the first Radio Vet Nurse sponsor back in 2018, and the Interrupted series wouldn't exist without their continued financial and personal support. Support for Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted comes from the Animal Emergency Service, AES. After having my own clinic for over seven years, looking for a job was scary. My trauma was really fresh, I was full of imposter syndrome and a newly single parent of a baby and three-year-old. I couldn't imagine who would want to employ me. AES hired me as the veterinary nurse manager on the Sunshine Coast. I was apologetic about my personal situation, but from day one, my manager and director said they knew I'd need support through this time and were thrilled to offer it. AES cares for its people and vet nurses have a seat at the table where we run the business. Without them, I'm not sure I would have stayed in the industry and this series wouldn't be possible without their financial support. In 2021, the Australian Veterinary Association put out a survey to their entire membership and it had a record number of responses. President of the AVA, Dr Warwick Vale, shared some of the results with me in regards to the main workplace stresses. The strongest one being the stress and anxiety of the type of work that we're doing, and that's the confronting nature of dealing with the customer base. A whole lot of client factors that we all experience that we wish we we didn't, and that's, you know, abuse and distress and difficult interactions with clients, uh, often over money. One of the single big factors that came out, if we didn't have to discuss and deal with the issues of money and finances with pet owners, we would have far less angst and far less conflict in our day-to-day work. And then the other factor was just the long hours, the long grind after hours was part of their duties on top of that. They were the big factors. Poor pay was there, and I think I can speak on behalf of nurses as well. Both the veterinary profession and the nursing profession is not a well-paid profession. So financial stress uh, is a big part of it. 
the last factor was workplace culture. Uh, so where the workplace culture was toxic with interactions among staff not being good, not supportive, the employment environment, the employment culture not being supportive and inclusive, then we saw poor mental health outcomes. Not surprisingly, where we had great culture in practices, the feedback that we got was that it was a protective factor against uh, poor mental health. So you might have those other mental health problems of working long hours and stress and difficult clients. But if you had a supportive workplace culture, then that was seen as a very much a protective factor uh, against your risk uh, individually for suffering from mental health problems. The other piece of the puzzle is just how much the human-animal bond has changed. It's a lovely change, but brings with it some added pressures on the system. People say, what, what's different today about being a dog and cat vet than what it was 30 years ago? Well, 30 years ago, if you had a business making dog houses for dogs and chains uh, that you put a dog on uh, at nighttime uh, in your backyard, well, you'd, you'd have a successful business. Today, you'd be out of business. Who buys a dog house now? No one has a dog house to put their dog in. The dogs live inside. They live in the bed. They've become part of the family that they weren't when I was a younger veterinarian, when I was an early graduate. And because of that, there's a, there's a much different relationship between those owners and their pets, a much different re- expectation about prolonging life and, and outcomes, better health outcomes for those pets. And as you said, you know, their technology and the approach to how we treat things has become more human-like. Uh, you know, we can offer all these treatments and modalities and, and diagnostics. And of course, they're expensive. Uh, there's, uh, and the cost of delivering them is uh, expensive. So that's what's changed. The other thing is I have done a lot of uh, companion animal work in the past. And, and you did that just in a relationship with that client. Now that client and you and your practice has a relationship with the entire community through social media. And that sort of uh, operating environment is is really challenging. Social media uh, has some fantastic benefits for the community, but in business and in some veterinary situations, it's a real toxic uh, and dangerous factor that, that, that creates to poor mental health in our profession and for nurses and for um, you know, all staff working in veterinary hospitals. That social media dynamic is very difficult. Co-founder and director of the Animal Emergency Service, Dr. Rob Webster, shares this sentiment. Their pet is a member of their family, a sentient being, who they will want us, not begrudgingly let us, but want us to administer life support that might involve mechanical ventilation, might involve hemodialysis, might involve you know incredible resources to save the life of that pet for that pet, not for any other reason. You know, in, and I'm sure in the old days, the reason people would invest five bucks in their dog was because he was a good guard dog or because, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't on that pet's behalf. And so we've seen this massive change in the appreciation people have for their pets. And the vet profession has evolved to meet that requirement, but it's not evolving as quickly as people's expectations, you know, are getting greater. And so we've we've seen the situation where, you know, a vet practice 50 years ago was Terry and his mate working out of a um from under the house in Townsville to today, you know, we've got multidisciplinary hospitals with the same equipment that a regional human hospital would have. That's massive change over a very short period. And We've got to remember that we're scientists, not business people. 
you know, we didn't become vets and vet nurses and client care representatives to transform an industry. We came here because most of us had an empathetic feeling to animals. A lot of us had some social problems as kids. You know, we, we were the kids that spent more time with the pet dog at the family barbecue. And so our, our relatives and, and parents started saying, Oh no, you could be a vet, you know, you know, cause you're not getting on with the rest of the kids that well. And, and so we're, we're the probably the least suitable people possible to transform an industry, but that's what we're being asked to do. And we're being dragged kicking and screaming by the owners of pets and the pets themselves, and we've got to catch up. Rob's right. We do need to catch up. How do we do it? That's exactly what we're going to talk about on the next episode. Thanks for joining me on Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted. This series may be uncomfortable at times. It's a lot to take on and take in, but I really believe the disruption is here and I thank you for joining me on the journey. If this episode has raised any concerns for you and you'd like to speak to someone for support, I'll be putting details of the best helplines in the show notes. See you next episode.